0: Welcome to Session Zero SideQuest, a show where each episode I pick out a movie, pick apart what makes its story special, and try to translate it for y'all into a and d character with a story worth telling. I'm your host Tom, I'm a literature nerd, I'm in my third year of college as a lit major, uh, I've been playing D&D for a good, I think like six or so years? I don't know, somewhere around there, but throughout that time i've just made an ungodly amount of character sheets that's incredibly disproportionate to the number of games that i've actually played and you know i've also had a bit of a backlog for movies because i've been living under a rock so in this podcast i'm hoping to kind of get through some of those on each end and i hope you enjoy this episode we're gonna take a look at i'm mother ever taking a look at the basilisk question remember those times you got the bible quoted at you Want to gear up for a dystopian campaign? Stick around for these and more. All right, so in today's episode, we're going over I Am Mother. Um, I So I first watched this one, actually, um, a couple summers ago. I was out in, uh, New Mexico and we just kind of pulled up some Netflix and you know just kind of we found that one and decided to give it a watch. So for this I actually kind of rewatched it another time and I've there are so many notes for this. Um I didn't write for the entire thing, but like there's I I was pretty pretty focused in on the first half. Um in the second half there's Well, We'll we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But so I guess to start with, um, there'll be some, you know, kind of major spoilers here going forward. Just as a bit of a warning, disclaimer, all that fun jazz. But so, yeah, basically the story is um, there's this dystopian kind of world going on. Everything's barren. Supposedly there's this disease going out and everything's dead except that there is these compounds, or at least there's one compound, where the mother comes in. They have, you know, stored embryos, they have tons of food, tons of everything. It's kind of like the, um, the human equivalent of that Antarctic, like, seed preserve, I think. But basically, they, the mother, um, kind of reaches this period, and decides, okay, um, and also they have this timer where it's like, you know, X days since the last extinction event and this number of occupants It starts off with zero days, so that tells you that everyone's dead and the mother, you know, brings in the, um, the new child, the new embryo, and raises them um, so from here We've got a little bit of a time skip. Um, so I forget exactly... I forget if this is the whole age of the the kid, or if... They, they seem to be, you know, in their teens when um, the story starts to, you know, really take place. But one point or another it says that they've reached about 300 sorry, 37, rather, <laughs> years <clears throat> since the extinction event, um, so the kid is, the kid is mostly grown up by that point, um, but, you know, things kind of happen, um, throughout this whole time, they're getting the kind of western ideal, perfect human, um, you know, basically, you're, she, she's getting tested on everything, the kid, um, you know, they're learning how to dance, they're learning art, origami, um, they're learning, you know, different politics and moral systems. One of the earlier scenes, they also kind of show a, um, you know, one of her tests and they show kind of like this, um, moral debate of, you know, you've got one, you've got five patients, th- four of them are dying, another could be saved, but they've also, they're also terminal, and they're a matching donor for the other four. So they, they've kind of got this idea going forward of, like, the perfect human is being raised, and, you know, that's what they're going off of. Um, but, yeah, so things, things happen. Um, eventually, the daughter is kind of, you know, questioning, hey, can I get a brother soon, or what's on the outside, or what happened to everybody? You know, those kinds of things. Um, and at one point or another, something happens. The There's a breach of some kind, and a mouse gets in. So from here, she saves the mouse and, you know, has them in a kind of a little container after she catches it. And the mother finds out and gets all concerned. Um, you know, and then she basically just tosses it in the incinerator because she's, she's got the narrator, Mm, not a narrator, narrative rather, um, that, you know, there's this whole plague on the outside. It's, it's later revealed that that's, you know, not the case, but she, she keeps up this narrative for quite a while. Um, (coughs) but you know, things go on and then eventually this happens again, so, this time, the daughter is kind of brave and a little bit restless, and they're deciding that they want to explore the outside. They find a, essentially, a hazmat suit. They go up to the, you know, big kind of fallout-style uh, vault doors, and they get through the first one, the airlock, and they hear a noise on the other side. On the other side, it turns out that there's another person, in. Her whole life, she had thought that she was alone. So when this happens, she has a bit of a panic, as one might, and kind of backs away, grabs some other equipment, shuts the door, or leaves leaves the equipment out there, shuts the door, and lets the other person in if they put on the stuff. Um, they, you know, they comply. They're, they've obviously been wounded from something in the wasteland. And you know, stuff happens, there's some conflict between the mother and this new person who's come from the wasteland, um, but basically, this is really where the story starts to, you know, ramp up, and if you can't tell, where some of my notes start to end, but basically, um, There's There's this big question of you know okay is all does all human life have value and this this is recalled a lot through the um, the doctor and the patient um, experiment kind of thought experiment there What turns out happening is essentially all the way at the end the mother reveals that essentially this whole thing has been a plot and the woman who's, you know, survived and come into this place has basically been left alive as a lesson since the daughter's main kind of failure or conception of a failure is that, you know, she questions, okay, well, what kind of person is this that's being that's, you know, the donor. Are you going to save yourself, or are you going to save the other four patients? What kind of people are they as well? Um, and almost the, the the kind of moral crux, it feels like, of a lot of this is the mother trying to teach the daughter that all human life has value, though this is done through, like, a really, like, backwards and kind of, um, you know, arbitrary way where it's like you kind of disprove, or you you show the negatives of the other side of thinking as a way to, um, you know, get your own side across, which is, like, really, really shitty, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, and I mean, eventually it kind of goes on to show as well to, you know, really drive home that dystopian kind of setting, is that you know, over this 37 years, this new person who comes out from the um, the wasteland, essentially, there's other people out there, or there were, anyhow. But they're since dead or presumed dead or in awful conditions. You know, this is, you know, 37 years or so since the last main extinction event, which means this has happened a few times. And this is also, you know, shown when um the daughter you know kind of goes out and does a little bit of investigating after you know there's some headbutting between the mother and the um the other lady and basically you know it shows okay neither of them have been entirely honest however there's, there's other bodies, and there's been, you know, written records of other children being raised, and they're, they're in an incinerator now. they what was them is in an incinerator now, so the, I mean, there's, there's these really, really strong undertones of, like, Uh, just eugenics and stuff like that. And that's, that's a really, really heavy topic. And I'm, I know I'm getting into some, like, some tough, tough content for a first episode. So we'll see how this goes in future ones. Next one will probably be a little bit lighter, but... So basically there's this idea that, you know, you have to get a perfect human, but from the mother's perspective... Um, but the issue with this is that, you know, the, the perfect isn't based off of survival. It's still based off of perpetuating old standards and traditions. And I mean, the, this is kind of shown through, you know, the, the ideal isn't really survival. It's, it's for, you know, dancing and knowing these things and making these moral questions and, you know, these kind of things that are you know, considered not necessarily Western entirely. Definitely not. But like they're there's to some degree or another <clears throat> standards of, you know, a high society or, you know, these are these are what makes something good that have been kind of, you know, preordained or set out for. Um I mean to some degree it shows in, um, you know, some of the, uh, there's a few scenes where the daughter is out in the wasteland following the other woman, but, I mean, the issue is that, I mean, you, you see, I'm rambling so fucking hard, uh, part of, part of the issue is that, like, w- while they're there, there, I mean, there's tons of oil, tons of, you know, well, oil rigs, um, there's, like, these fracking things. I I don't know if that's the right term, but, like, you know, the the stereotypical, like, oil pump things. Um, There's these, like, huge, 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 huge looming structures. Um, And then there's also this, you know, massive fields of corn, and according to the other woman from the wasteland, that just showed up a few years ago. That's new. Before, according to her, the you know, the air wasn't even breathable. You, with this kind of way, I mean, so with this kind of wasteland, it's, whether it be from, you know, massive wartime that led to the extinction event, or, you know, the robot was created and then did it itself, um, one way or another, the the main structure for, you know, society and basic needs aren't there but can be created. Um but, you know, if you're going out into this, your thoughts aren't going to be um you know, I need to really work on that that waltz. Really gotta get that down. No, you you wanna survive. You wanna like work on you know, like figuring out how to sustain yourself and others if they're there. And you know, the the woman, she, she's she been out there for a while, and it's revealed that all the other people are likely dead. She's got this storage container, you know, chock full of, like, all sorts of tools and stuff, and it, it's more or less revealed that, you know, she's done this, she's learned how to survive, and this is what her concern has been on. Um, but kind of what I've been getting at here is in some ways it's just really, you know, subjective, like and it's it's also subjective in an enforced way. There's this kind of dystopian Garden of Eden sort of scenario where this bunker is, you know, the ideal for life. This this way of living, this education that you get, this is the ideal. And within this, you know, perfect little box where you don't have to worry about anything, sure, yeah, that that sort of works. But i mean you know our own perspective you know we've got the whole world quote unquote um you know the the world is how it is there's a lot more to it than just living in a bunker and you know essentially becoming a literature major but so with with that you know with this world there's that and then but it's you know just in a bunker it's an enclosed society it's just you the art is, you know, for yourself. Or, there's the outside, which is desolate, but the in a way, you know, when it's not controlled, it's almost better, in a sense. I mean, there so, okay, so there's the corn fields, the main thing that, you know, just appeared likely by the influence of the mother, or all the other robots that technically are also the mother. Um... I don't think I actually specified that these were robots. I hope that was kind of coming across. Um, But yeah, so there's that. But then, you know, the whole background you've got, you know, of where the other woman uh, is living. There's these, there's this massive empty ocean with a tipped over oil rig. And then behind it, there's this actually incredibly lush forest and mountainside behind them so it might be, you know, desolate, and food might be tight, but there is, you know, some degree of a natural world, and this is also only one small area. We don't know if this is just a single continent thing, if, you know, other countries are doing this, there are other bunkers doing a similar thing, and, you know, there's other children, or if it's all just based out of this one thing, but one way or another, you know, the natural world does still exist, and there are still skills and ways of life that are important to that. At this point, the society only really perpetuates itself because the mother is there. But yeah, as I was kind of getting to, there's this kind of Garden of Eden scenario where there's the perfect inside and you can't leave it. If you leave it, you're doomed. Um, but that's that's really just a ruse, and there's the whole outside world, there's this whole other set of thing that is isn't just arbitrarily put in place, or, or you know, based off of something prior to you know, kind of reinforce itself, basically getting peer pressured by a bunch of old white dudes, more or less. Um, I mean, both have some, both of the kind of you know, kind of gardens of Eden. They they have you know their own merits and some form of protection. But they're also dangerous and they lack in you know, the encompassing needs of you know, for living. Like the one has all of the arts and all of the other stuff, but it's it's null, it's pointless. It doesn't it's all for yourself and not even for yourself, to some degree. In mean, one way or another, it's almost just the mothers own thing. That's you know, that's how they're programmed, that's what the ideal was set to be. So that's what they're enforcing. Or, you know, the outside, you have this really harsh environment where your needs are only barely met. And you know, there's there's some beauty to be found there, but at the same time you need to meet those needs and that beauty can't really be outwardly expressed or professed towards anyone else because they're not there or they're struggling just as much as you at both of them um but yeah when you look at them it kind of it comes down to the idea that you know both have merit and even if there is some degree of uh you know quote-unquote perfect um human that can be realized that's not something that should necessarily be sought for. Morals are subjective, and perfect is, you know, a high standard because it's not made to be reached. Um, I mean, yeah, and each each person is incredibly complex and different, has different needs, and even their even an individual's perfect can be incredibly different. But yeah, with the whole kind of law thing, the the mother is you know, kind of asserted by the law that informed their own creation. So again, it it asserts itself by allowing the child to explore and form their beliefs and, you know, shows the negative. But the issue is that it, you know, it shows the negatives of the child's belief and, you know, it really does this in a forceful and, you know, not at all really good way. And, the issue is that this is what, you know, this kind of thinking that, you know, this can be right, this can be perfect, that perfect can be created and reached, or, you know, even that an AI could reach something perfect, per se, for something that's living, developing, changing, growing, that, that's the kind of belief that itself led to the mother's creation and then, you know, the child's own belief. And eventually it kind of just boils down to, you know, these two have focused on, you know, the idea of individuality and being a genius and being perfect to the best that they can. But this you know, those kind of western ideals also focus on individualism and you know, trying something different, at least to some degree, for some people. Um, but, you know, the for the mother, the only law that can be allowed to succeed is unhindered love, despite chaos and messy existences. And the mother is a relic of the, you know, quote-unquote, true law in society. And, you know, so long as she and the other strongholds, you know, if there are any, Exist, nature can't really thrive and exist at it as it needs to. You know, by putting it into a society, it kind of automatically is taken off its course. In some ways, this can be a really beautiful thing, but, you know, in this scenario, and, you know, kind of any dystopian society scenario that's, you know, brought up as a big theme for something, like, you know, that kind of thing it just doesn't it It shows like the worst outcome of that sort of thing, where you know any beauty that's left over is only kept because it's seen as beautiful and not for you know any intrinsic value or meaning that it had behind it so as as this kind of happens the the mother may be doing their best i mean it's shown that they're. In an AI, and you know, they say that they're still learning, and it's a difficult process. And I mean, you know, being being a mother, that I can only imagine how much of a process that's got to be. But within this, their motives aren't entirely altruistic either. I mean, there's you know, the other children she's killed or escaped and let live only to be a lesson to other children. Um, but the, the reasoning behind their or not the reasoning, that that kind of feels wrong. The, the Basically, they, they use somewhat, you know, colonial reasoning. Um, you know, I hope you know I'm governed by different parameters than her assailants. That's one of the quotes from the mother. And, you know, the assailants are the same as her. And, you know, because they're the same as her, they run on the same principle. They've basically just got, you know, this whole place on a, castle doctrine, almost, although it's not even that, it's maybe a presumed castle doctrine, you know, depending on the scope of the, I guess, drones, um, you know, how, how far spread they are, how much is destroyed, is it just this place, is it the whole continent, is it the world, you know, but it's, it's defending something that doesn't need to be there, is what it, you know, kind of ultimately boils down to. So, I think kind of one of the things that it boils down to, really, with the, you know, moral question, I guess, of the story is, you know, can anyone be loved or accepted with enough time or understanding, regardless of how good or evil they are? And that's kind of the main focus of the doctor moral question as well. And, I mean, if your answer is yes, things in the world happen, and, you know, because everything's so complex there's one reason or another for it to happen regardless of whether or not you can predict the outcomes because you know there's that other train of thought outside of the movie where like you know you can predict like oh well we could never find it but I'm sure with the right mathematical equation we could predict anything and everything that's ever going to happen or has happened And I I feel like that's a bit of a delusion of, you know, the whole kind of hindsight is 2020. That really fucking rings true for this year. Where, you you know, you think you can predict something. And I feel like that's, you know, part of the ideal of human exceptionism. Exceptionalism, rather. (coughs) And with that, you kind of get the alternative as well. If no, you know, nothing there are, you know, lines to be drawn, moral rights and wrongs outside of, you know, the natural world, then, you know, law and order are strict rulers of what can and can't happen. And there's a line somewhere that can be crossed where something can no longer be just. Um, And, you know, at least how it kind of cumulates with the mother's perspective, that thing should no longer be allowed to exist or live or in the case of the, uh, scavenger in the wasteland, only for the purpose of kind of teaching the lesson that, you know, um, that, you know, all human life has value, which is really weird because, you know, there's, it kind of, it's a self-enforcing thing that, you know, doesn't really... Is a self-enforcing thing that can't enforce itself because it's going against the rules that it itself, you know, exists by. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a whole big moral arbitration thing. Yup, that's fun. This isn't heavy at all. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's kind of my review of the movie, if you could call this that. Um, but yeah, I I think it's a good time to kind of get into the D&D side of things, lighten the mood a little bit. Okay, so a little bit more of the, uh, lighthearted side of things now when you're getting into the actual D&D stuff. But I think so when I was kind of reading over all this stuff I think the biggest thing that I got the idea for that I really liked is going for a lawful neutral wild magic sorcerer and now this might be just kind of the base of your character it might you know develop later into other subclasses and classes and I'll I'll go into that a little bit later but I think it's a really interesting take on a wild sorcerer now I've a bit of bias here. I've never actually played a wild sorcerer myself, um, and I don't think I've actually been in a game with one either, but I really think the idea, um, and it kind of goes into the, you know, druidic tra- traditions as well, that, you know, um, that you know, you can support the party or assist in combat, but there will be a sense of chance, and that that chance and um, you know, kind of allowing things to happen is important. I think that's a really kind of cool concept to play with with a wild sorcerer that's still lawful, um, and also you know, not just good or evil, there that's you know, that's all too maybe too objective i guess um for this character and you know of course these are all suggestions you, if you want to go a different path um that also works as well and i've i've got a few options and ideas later that can kind of go into those um but yeah i mean in another kind of setting that this kind of goes into if um if any of y'all are familiar with um any of the Magic the Gathering kind of settings. Some of those have kind of bled into d and D a a little bit. But, um, the... I think it's Ravnica, I want to say? I think it's Ravnica. Um, where you've got, you know, these factions like um, you know, Orzov, Rakdos, Boros, all of them. I feel like that really goes into, um, the whole kind of idea with, um, with the gruel I want to say I think it's the gruel that's you know red green but basically their whole thing is you know you got to overthrow society you know you've got all these um really high up you know lawmakers and business people who are living the life of luxury um of course you know different scale and scenario and that'll, that'll happen if you're trying to bring a character from a movie to a different type of media, or, you know, storytelling style, but I think, you know, this, that's definitely a setting that this could kind of go into, because everything in there is just really butting heads and going at each other. Um, but yeah, if you go for the Wild Magic Sorcerer, you kind of have a bit of cost of control over what happens, but I think you could also really like play into this because i mean flavor wise this could line up really well with the concept that your character values the chance of any outcome to exist and take an almost profoundly optimistic outlook on situations as they happen um but it you know it doesn't have to start that way, nor does it have to end that way um you know kind of as things change and go on, and things happen in the campaign, Uh, you know, the, the, I mean, the characters are basically, you know, destined champions one way or another to go and do X, Y, Z, um, and things can happen that are important to your character, um, so I've kind of laid out three, three progression trees, um, So you've got humanity, neutral, and omniscience, or basically, you know, the robot side, whether that be, you know, you could take that really literally and go for maybe like a warforged character, I think, and that could be really cool. Or, you know, it's just a normal character, and, uh, you know, any race, any um, background, that kind of stuff, but, you know, stuff happens and they go towards that route. Um, for the humanity tree, I think what would be really interesting is if you went for, like, a redemption paladin or, um, possibly even the, I think it's order cleric, I want to say. Both of those kind of really go down the path of, you know, uh, basically believing in the best in people and also kind of towards, um they they've got kind of supportive roles and paladin is either a wisdom or a charisma caster and clerica is wisdom I want to say but um you know despite that it could be you know a very charismatic base and they're they're really or you know even wise this is a focus on you know morals and the implications of you know what you do this this could really lead into like a build where you're focusing on the party and supporting them or guiding them towards their destinies. Also another really neat thing that you could do from there that I think generally works by base rules, but you know, it'd be something to talk about your talk about to your DM is um you know, if something happens yet again and you've gone for the redemption paladin arc, possibly even going for Oathbreaker. I mean I mean if you if you're going that way it could definitely be going through like a villain arc and you know you could really just jam some angst in there and that could be real fun but I I think that would be a really good opportunity I think for um you know some character development options if it's a really long-lasting campaign and it's it's a very you know RP driven one Um, so for the next tree, you've got Neutral, and I think for this one, you really just want to... This would be if you really just want to stick to the chaos and, you know, letting things happen, and that's the natural order, and that's how things should have become. Um, and I think the two routes that you... the, The two that really stuck out to me for this is if you're going for, like, a really aggressive one that's sort of like Paladin but still on the wild side would be the Wild Magic Barbarian. I believe that's UA. It might have been released in the new Tasha's book. Um, Or if you want one that's, you know, kind of finds solace in this and just lets things happen and they're just really chill. And also if you want to, you know, take a more supportive role, you could go for a Creation Bard or a Stars Druid even. Um, And I think both of these are pretty... I mean, if you're going into the existential conflicts, these, these are pretty solid options, I think, but the I feel like the creation bard is the... Maybe, maybe a little bit of the better of the two, um, between, you know, Star's Druid or the bard. Um, and, you know, I don't really have too much to add off of there for the neutral path, unfortunately. Um... You know, kind of as these things go on, I'll kind of feel out how much I want to go into the reviews and how much I want to dig into, you know, different character options. Or y'all could let me know as well. Um, but, so the next option is the omniscience option. Um, if you're picking this choice to multi-class into or start from um essentially you're focusing on control you really want to be able to see everything know everything and if you're lucky be able to hope, you know even kind of influence the tides in a favorable favorable direction whether that be for your own goals eventually or the party's goals um the bit of a disclaimer here as well um i mean it, it can be interesting to kind of you know influence the others the other players goals but i think you know this should be done more passively by you know if a choice comes up you you really want to you know support the option that you'd like to lead things towards don't don't just be really aggressive and be a butt. you, you can do it. There, there's other options than that but there there's subtle ways that you can do it that can make a big influence and also you know enhance you know other people's experience while you're playing because it at the end of the day it's you know a group game but you know if you're going for this you're really focused on to some degree of control Um, so this could be done by you know kind of hindering the opponents or helping the party themselves Um, and I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the options that would be really good for this are maybe a divination wizard to really focus on the, maybe not omnipresence so much, or like, you know, the ability to control things, but they can predict things and, you know, let the party know or withhold certain information to kind of steer the, the direction of the game in a certain way um, alternatively, if you really, really, really want to lean into the, um, you know, the kind of robotic, like, see everything, um, you know, basically, you know, take a bird's eye view of everything and influence from above, um, you could go for the Archivist Artificer, which, so I have a bit of a pet peeve, not, not a pet peeve, um, a preference, I guess. I, I really like the UA stuff, you know, released or not. I'm, if you couldn't tell already, I'm I'm probably going to be sticking to those, but that one in particular, I think that was a really good subclass. But I think, I think that one would be fantastic. I've actually played the Artificer um, Archivist for a campaign. Um, they're multiclassed as a, um, as a ranger as well. Um, But, that was really good for scoping things out, and it, it also gives a few bonuses to particular things. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think you can also, um, you know, kind of pass off those benefits to your party members as well, which could be really useful for you. Um, another option for that as well, um, kind of the same area, is Paladin Oath of the Watchers. Um, I don't know too much about this one, however... It's it's definitely in um, you know it's it's definitely in the ballpark for what you're kind of going for with this sort of build. Um, and again, with that one, you could almost switch sides one way or another if you're going for a uh, oathbreaker paladin. You know, switching subclasses eventually, um, and you know the flavor of the oathbreaker is that you know you were once virtuous and now you're going to something you know much more sinister but i think it can go the other way around too i mean i think i think a lot of the things really boil down to the way that you play it so it could be a you know realization of humanity and you know the natural world and what makes things beautiful that you kind of go towards towards the end if you end up doing that off of the whole uh you know the whole omniscience kind of path and so I think the last thing that I really want to get into, and, you know, let me know and I can probably, you know, kind of shimmy around what I want to work with and how how in-depth I want to get for things. But I think for the first episode, the last thing I really want to get into is a possible background. And I think the one that really sticks out to me is is Fulkiro. Um, I mean, for this one, it's kind of someone that everyone knows or... Um, you know, most will instinctually kind of gravitate towards to some degree or another. Um, and, you know, they're just a really charismatic character. And I think for this kind of build where you're kind of playing either like an absolute chaos bringer or the polar opposite and being, you know, a watcher who's trying to influence from behind the scenes and be a bit of like a puppeteer. I think uh, there's other backgrounds that would certainly fit that budget, but I think uh, for now, just to kind of get a baseline, Folk Hero could also really fit into that, especially if you're going for the humanity or neutral routes. Um, So between these, the ones that I kind of picked out, and also another thing for Folk Hero, I'm I'm really getting sidetracked here, Um, but they've also got the defining event, where the character really, um, kind of sets themselves apart, um, from anyone else. I think that could also be a really solid basis for, you know, how you want to flavor your character, how you want to have them figure out their morality and character arcs and all of that, you know, however those happen throughout the story. I think... I think that could be really good since, I mean, the baseline is basically, you know, morals are all incredibly subjective in your, you know, accumulation of the way that you're raised. I think the way that you're raised or something that happens when the character is raised or something in their life that means a lot to them, I think that'll be a really big drive for the way that you kind of set up your character and, you know, how they develop in the actual game itself and, you know, alongside the party as well. Um, for personality, um, the two I picked out were, I have a strong sense of fair play and always try to find the most equitable solution to arguments. Or, also, I judge people by their actions, not their words. I think for either of these, honestly, like, both are really good. Um... I think the fair play one, you can really play into that with a lot of the spells and abilities that paladins have. Um, for example, Compelled Duel, I think paladins get. I think bards might also get it. Um, uh, with With a Wild Sorcerer, you're kind of pushed into that one as well to some degree or another, just because of, you know, how little control you have over everything. And you're emphasizing that you don't have control, and, you know, you make the best out of it one way or another. Um, and I judge people by their actions, not their words, I think that could either be a positive or a negative thing, and that's really up to how you want to play the character, whether they're, you know, really understanding and try to believe the best in people and, you know, let them shine and, um, you know, really kind of grow, or whether they're just, you know, a really kind of angsty and pessimistic character that... You know, it's basically, you know, their way or the highway. um, And, you know, either way leads to a whole lot of different development options... And, you know, the way that you play the character. And either way as well, you could still play kind of a supporting role... To start with, one way or another. Um, for ideals, I think, honestly, any ideal could really fit. But I think for, I think Destiny... Um. You know, no one can steer me away from my higher calling. I think that one seems to work really well with the idea of chance. And that you don't really need a self-fulfilling... Oh, gosh. Uh, boy, gee, how I think that one... Um, I think that one really fits into the idea that you don't need a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you can be part of a, you know, steering people where they need to go. Whether it be with chaos or omniscience or you know, slight influences or that kind of stuff. I think, I think that one really fits in there. Um, for Bond, um, I work the land, I love the land and I protect the land, or I protect those who cannot protect themselves. I think between these, both of them give a bit of the supporting role flavor. I think the first kind of has an Ends Justify the Means vibes in there a little bit. That's kind of what it gives off to me. Um, so if you want a Corruption arc, there it is. Go for that one. Um, but alternatively, the the second one seems a little bit more neutral, but you could lean into the a reason for them to stay with the party with it. Um, you know, as the party are the ones that you see. To be, you know, full of potential and nearing perfection, but need guidance to reach that with their kind of own individual destinies. And, you know, kind of trying to almost be a party face, but in in like a passive, active way. Not being show off with it, but like, you know, trying to work through characters and their backstories um, and their motivations, helping them reach them. Um, And flaw. Oh boy, howdy. There's two that both really lead towards the omniscience um, kind of track here. Um, I'm convinced of the significance of my destiny and blind to my shortcomings and the risk of failure. Or the second spicy option. Second... That is not how it goes. Secretly, rather, I believe that things would be better if I were a tyrant, lording over the land, which is really, really, really just just on the money for uh, the whole movie. I am mother to some degree or another, but I think Arthur I Thieves would be a fantastic flaw and kind of a contention point where the character that you make has to kind of reason with themselves over what they want versus, you know, what they should let happen, or even to some other points, I guess, you know, what needs to happen, um, but yeah, I, I think that's about all that I've got for our first episode here, and, you know, all the kind of stuff you could really dig into, uh, I know this first one was a little bit long, um, so you know, um, I'll, I'll I'll probably try to, you know, cut these down, make them a little bit shorter, really kind of laser in on certain things, and, you know, maybe even not pick something so heavy to start off with, but, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes in future episodes, and thanks for tuning in for Session Zero SideQuest. Hope you have a lovely day. for tuning in, and I hope you have a lovely day. Bye-bye!